0: In the final chapters of 2 Kings, the evil rulers and obstinate people in Judah bring disaster upon their own heads. The fulfillment of many prophecies come together as Jerusalem is destroyed and God's people are taken into exile. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Grand Finale. Father, now as we get ready to finish up 2 Kings, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the truth that you have for us and see the good news of Jesus here, even in the hard times of uh, Israel reaping what they had sown. We just pray, Lord, for your still small voice to be heard, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, we pray in Jesus' name. Well, feeling ambitious tonight? Anybody? Amen? Yeah. Okay, let's finish up. <laughs> Thank you, Jack- Jackie. Let's finish up the book of Second Kings. So let's get started at verse 31, where we left off. Uh, Josiah has died, and there's a new king coming. Jehoahaz, Josiah's son, was 23 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Ham, Hamutal, Hamoodle, <laughs> Hamoodle. Now, there are a lot of pregnant women in the fellowship right now. We have a record number, by the way. It's somewhere over 20 women. Uh, yeah, so there's a baby name for you right there. <laughs> Daughter of Jeremiah, not our Jeremiah, a different Jeremiah, uh, She was from Libna. Now, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. Not his father, but generally speaking. Pharaoh put him in chains at Riblah in the land of Hamath so that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Pharaoh made Eliakim, Son of Josiah, so his brother, king in place of his father Josiah, and exchanged Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim, but he took Jehoahaz—that's a hard one—and carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. Jehoiakim paid Pharaoh the silver and the gold he demanded. In order to do so, he taxed the land and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. All right, so as we get started here um, and some quick context in case you've just joined us, uh, 2 Kings have been telling a story about the declining years of the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah. So we have our good old trusty chart for you. That'll help you. It started back a few hundred years ago with David and Solomon, and the kingdom had a civil a civil war happen with Solomon's boy Rehoboam. Jeroboam split the kingdom, and all of these guys have. We've already worked our way down through uh, the hundreds of years uh, that these guys were. Uh, In charge. So they were ruling as kings. And so now the north has been taken away by Assyria. So only Judah remains. And we've worked our way all through these kings as well. Josiah was laid to rest by Pharaoh. Last time, Pharaoh, he came out and and Egypt came up. He was passing through. Uh, He warned him not to mess with him. The Pharaoh did. Told Josiah, do not, my beef is not with you. Don't mess with me. Uh, But he did mess with them anyway, and it cost them his life. So Josiah's gone. Now we have 23 years left until Judah will be taken by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, as we'll read tonight, and uh, will take them completely away and destroy uh, the temple and Jerusalem. And so... uh, We've got those 23 years left with these four kings. So tonight we're going to go through these four kings and we'll finish the book of Second Kings. So uh, you can put the text back if you'd like and we'll talk about uh, Josiah's uh, wicked, faithless son, Jehoahaz. Uh, so uh, in this case, the apple did fall very far from the tree. Um, because this apple's rotten, so it's a great a godly father who did so many wonderful reforms, uh, but an ungodly son. And uh, it says here, well, well, you know about that phenomena about a good family that has uh, uh, sons or daughters that don't follow. Uh, that just happens. It's a sad reality. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make that horse drink. Right but you can pray that the horse get really thirsty, amen? (laughs) And you can live in such a way that makes the horse want to drink because the horse becomes thirsty. What did Jesus call us? He called us, you are the salt of the earth. Part of that analogy is to make people thirsty for the living water. That's really what that analogy is all about. So he makes it all of three months on the throne, verse 31 tells you. It turns out that Pharaoh doesn't like this this replacement. So he puts him in chains and takes him, uh, deports him to Egypt with him, right? Nobody really knows why he did that. And he put his brother on the throne instead. And, And so we see this happening here. He changes his name, his brother's name. And uh, gives him a throne name. And, and now Babylon, Egypt, I should say, is occupying Jerusalem and made uh, Josiah's son a vassal. And the vassal just means a puppet king. So, really, you're in charge here, but I'm reigning. Uh, Egypt's in charge, and you guys will be paying hefty uh, taxes to me, right? So, here's the brother's story. Next verse is here, uh, starting at 36. So now the the brothers reigning, Uh, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name, there for you, she was from Rumah, uh, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. So generally speaking, that chart had a list of 20 kings, eight of them were good, and the rest were bad. And so this is saying that he just was in line with the bad ones As well. And so a continual spiritual corruption here. And according to Jeremiah, our prophet Jeremiah, uh, in chapter 22, he's alive and well. He's prophesying to these four kings, all four in a row, for those 23 years until the bitter end. Um, And Jeremiah 22 calls this guy a monster who oppresses his own people, who opposes the Lord's servants, and fills the land with violence, apostasy, and defilement. And so uh, not a good guy at all. Um, When the righteous are in authority, when good people rule, the Bible says, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn and groan. That's Proverbs uh, 29 and verse two. So there was a lot of groaning because this guy was bad news. Now this guy gets a new master. He, he had been answering to Pharaoh, but now we're going to have an administration change. Things are unstable there in Jerusalem. So uh, chapter 24, uh, 1 through 7. So during this uh, Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar of, of infamous fame from the book of Daniel, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal Now, instead of Egypt, Egypt's gone now because Babylon has defeated Egypt. And they're fighting really over the region uh, for three years. So he gets, he becomes his vassal for three years. But then he changed his mind and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Not smart. Uh, The Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him. He sent them to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord, proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command, in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh a few kings ago, and all that he had done, and everybody followed him. Nobody's repented, really, since then, including the shedding of innocent blood, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive and so now we see that Babylon gets the upper hand and Egypt goes back south um, uh, fleeing as uh, they go so now this king here has Nebuchadnezzar to deal with uh, instead of Pharaoh so verse 1 lets us see that Jehoiakim kind of gets sick of being a puppet king You know, you would think he would just comply, you know, but uh, there's a weak sauce attempt here to overthrow his occupiers now, but that's not going to work. So he gets tired there of being the puppet king, uh, but, and he rebels, but, you know, the Lord, he's not walking with the Lord. He's not praying. Yeah. And, and the Lord is bringing judgment to try to get them to turn around to the Lord, uh, uh, and so he thinks by, by resisting that he can throw off the chains, as it were, but it's not going to happen. And so uh, this disaster, verse 3, is in keeping with all the prophets. And so the reason God is not willing to forgive, it says in your text, because they're not willing to turn around and repent. God would be totally willing. He's slow to anger, compassionate, uh, willing to forgive generation after generation, um, but they're, they're unwilling. So they're not being cooperative and they're paying the price for that. So before Nebuchadnezzar really reaches Jerusalem to personally put this rebel in place, uh, he, he's dead and he's succeeded by his son Jehoiachin. All right. And so you're following this? I think we're down to number three now of the four. And Jehoiachin means God will establish. Now, you know, I started thinking about this. Why are ungodly men naming their kids uh, godly with godly titles? Well, it's because it's nice to look godly, but it's hard to live godly. So we want people to think, oh, well, we're so spiritual. You know, so look at what I named my kid. God will establish. And I don't have any interest in living for him, but you know, God will establish. And then no, we're so godly, and that's what they're doing there. So, uh, two down really, and two kings to go. So, eight through, I think it's 15 or 17. So, this new guy, Je- Jehoiachin, was only 18 when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was, there it is for you, and she's from Jerusalem. Uh, he did evil. <laughs> He did evil. I don't want to rob you of going home and pronouncing that for yourself. Uh, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mom... His attendants, his nobles, his officials, all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner. As the Lord had declared, uh, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord He carried into exile. Exile just means to be banished from your own country as a punishment. He carried into exile all Jerusalem. All the officers and fighting men and all the craftsmen and artisans. A total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives his officials, and the leading men of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans. He made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. So that's king number four. So we're at the end. All right, we're at the end of the line. So let's pause there. You can go back to the previous slide uh, just if you're tracking with me as I'm kind of comment, commenting on these verses. Uh, so uh, final eviction is served. It's, it's the end of Israel as we knew ancient Israel. It's going to be now uh, 70 years before a remnant comes back. Uh, After that, they remain uh, really just a remnant in the land for 2,500 years until May 14th, 1948. So it was a, a big deal. And this is where it happened, right here in our chapter. So wave goodbye to the promised land. You know, the thing about this is the Lord told them when they were going into the promised land 860 years earlier said, listen, if you just cooperate with me, love me in return for my love, just, just obey, walk with me. You don't even have to be perfect. Just walk in relationship uprightly and obediently with me, and I'll bless you. And this, this is your promised land. But if you, if you rebel and, and provoke and do terrible, wicked things, uh, this, you're not going to get to enjoy the land. You, you'll be removed from the land. So he's very patient for 860 years. And uh, now we're seeing it happen. In verse 12, you have the royal family surrendering. Uh, they're getting on the bus. They're in Jerusalem. And they're going to be waving goodbye. In verse 13, uh, all the temple treasuries are going to be looted and taken. And verse 14, all the skilled people, all, all uh, the human treasures too, Are taken, right? So they're going to take the best of the cream of the crop. And uh, it says that they're going to leave the scattered poor that they deem uh, no further trouble. So they're going to leave those guys there. Verse 14. Uh, Verse 17, uh, uh, they put uh, Jehoiachin's uncle in charge as a puppet king uh, there. And on an ongoing process to take everybody to Babylon. And it's a very interesting name change, you see. Uh, Jehoiachin's uncle there is called uh, Mataniah, which means God's gift. And he changes his name to Zedekiah, which means God's justice. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's a pagan king, the king of Babylon. And he's saying, you know, I like the name Zedekiah better. I don't really know why. Of course he doesn't know why. Because the whole story is about the gift of God and the disrespect and disregard of his people to that gift. And then God bringing justice. So he's either going to pardon or punish those are the two options we have. And so he becomes one of us. He dies on the cross to pardon whosoever believes. So he gives us options. So you either go to Christ and you connect with him and you're pardoned. That's his heart. But if you're going to reject what he's offered for you, there's no hope. I mean, because someone's going to pay. It's God, God's justice, Zedekiah you know, and so that's really kind of a metaphor for what's going on here, and, and it's really sad. So continuing on, 18 through 20, now Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigns in Jerusalem 11 years, so during this time, there's still a hope there. Zedekiah is like the last gasp of, of, of hope, but There's his mother's name and all of that. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that this all happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Okay, so here we just get the information. Uh, We've got three down. Now one guy left. The Zedekiah, the last hole. Uh, Now, what's true of individuals is true of nations. Um, Proverbs 29 and verse 1 Whoever remains stiff necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. You know, as I've said, God's heart is compassionate and loving. And I mean, that's a God is love. That's what 1 John tells us, right? But it's kind of like he's also got this other side to him. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it's like poking him in the eye, you know, with a stick. I mean, what what do you expect a lion to do? I mean, it just it's just not it's not a good idea to antagonize the God of the universe. Amen. I just think that's just wisdom there. So, uh, so Zedekiah, by the way, Jeremiah is writing. All about this. So when you read Jeremiah, he's writing about the four, these four kings, these 23 years. So all of Jeremiah is in context of them getting shipped to uh, Babylon, right? So that really helps you understand Jeremiah uh, a lot better. But by the way, Jeremiah 32 says that this Zedekiah ar- uh, arrested Jeremiah for preaching to him the truth. So Jeremiah is preaching to all these four kings and none of them are listening. All of them are evil. All of them are disregarding his message. In fact, the Zedekiah locks them up and throws them in a well. And so you can read about that. You know, in 2 Chronicles 36, um, he's, he's mocking Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's laying out exactly what's going to happen too. And we'll see that that's fulfilled exactly as Jeremiah has said. So, uh, Zedekiah's uh, great idea now, he made an oath to this king of Babylon. And he said, okay, I'll be, your, I'll be your vassal king. Put me in place. And Second Chronicles shows that he makes a vow to the Lord in front of this pagan king. I'm gonna be your faithful, you know, the other guys rebelled, but not me. All right, so then he decides, you know what? After whatever it was, uh, he decides he's, he's done and he's going to break his oath, which is gonna bring the end to Judah and they're gonna be carried off and that's it. So sad and graphic ending coming up here in chapter 25. Uh, viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> chapter 25 and verse one through seven. So in the ninth year, this Zedekiah. And on the 10th day of the 10th month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against He got the news. Hey, I'm not paying you your taxes. I'm in charge here. So Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marches back from Babylon, which is Iraq, 555 miles. uh, Marches back against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamps around the city and built built siege works uh, all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So we're at the end now. That's 23 years. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Araba. Araba means wasteland in Hebrew. And it, if you can look over it, it's just just wilderness. Uh, but the Babylonians, so the, so the king and some of the military guys in the, the royal cabinet flee. And they get pretty far. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Very interesting that it would be there. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon, back to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where the king had set up his little fortress, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes. They gouged them out, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Iraq. All right, well, welcome tonight, this evening, um, if you're needing an encouraging word. Um, So uh, the last straw for Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, um, now after nine years, he's going to make the 550-mile trek west yet again. This is the second king to say, hey, listen, we're not paying your taxes. We're going to be, the, uh, you know, we're going to be independent from you again. So in verse 1, you have a two-year siege, and all that means is this blockade. So they said, we're just going to outlast you and starve you out, you know. And so it worked, really. In July of the year 586, on a hot summer day, the walls were breached, And the Babylonian soldiers uh, came pouring over the walls. Now, Zedekiah and the military uh, that had not yet been deported because some of them were already on the bus away. But whoever was left there in verses four and five managed to escape under the cover of darkness into the desert. Now, the Babylonians are too smart for that, so they're going to go after him. Plus, God is trying to get a hold of these guys, and they think they could keep you know, getting away and escaping and all of this stuff. So the Babylonian army catches them there uh, in the desert and hauls them back to face King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, now, the Babylonians are as cruel as the Assyrians, And so uh, he he takes Zedekiah and he says, I want you to look at your sons because I want that to be the last thing you see. And so he executes the sons and then he gouges out uh, his eyes and hauls him off to Babylon where he will remain in shackles until his death. Now, very interesting that where the last Davidic king, that just means he's related to King David, is stopped is where they first came in to the promised land the 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 plains of jericho that's right where they came in and this was this beautiful you know fulfillment of this promise here's your promise you know and, and don't mess with me about it because he said in deuteronomy 4 if after a very long time that you just forsake me and disobey me, you'll be ejected from the land. So 860 years counts as a very long time. And they're ejected, right, right, kind of tying it all together with the place that they actually came in. And so pretty sad there. Now, one commentator said, uh, about his eyes being gouged out, the commentator said, oh, that happened a long time ago, spiritually speaking, because He could have foreseen all of this and avoided it. Jeremiah told him the whole thing. He just wouldn't listen. He just would not listen no matter what. 8 through 17 now. On the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what I love about the Bible. It's verifiable. I mean, when you talk about Jesus being born... Check out Luke chapter 1 and 2. There's a whole paragraph about the year, who was was the governor, who was the king, or what time of year it was. It's all verifiable. It's pretty amazing. And secular history books uh, correspond. On the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city along with the rest of the populace and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon, those defectors. Verse 12, but the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censers, the sprinkling bowls, all that were made of pure gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, it's, they're dismantling that beautiful temple that we, we we studied about. The sea, that beautiful brass uh, Labor there, And the movable stands which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord, everything's coming down, was more than he uh, than could be weighed. Each pillar was 27 feet high. The bronze capital, the little structure on the top of the pillar, uh, was four and a half feet high and was decorated with a network of pomegranates, of bronze, all around. So beautiful, but useless if you're not going to walk with the Lord. Uh, the other pillar with its network was similar. Are we going on right now, or is that a separate one? Okay, similar. No. That's it. Just stop there. 8 through 17. Thank you. So we're going to talk about the destruction of of Jerusalem now. So the walls are coming down. Everything's getting dismantled. It's just terrible. Um, You know, one British politician put it this way. Every great nation dies by suicide. And that's exactly what happened. You know, here, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, puts it in in a female version, but it could be either way. But it says, the wise woman builds her house, uh, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. You know, uh, that cartoon, uh, famous cartoon that says, we've met the enemy and the enemy is us. You know, uh, this is exactly what happened uh, to Judah and so all of this destruction uh, comes about as the sins that they had sown in the rebellion. The saddest, you've heard this limerick, I've said it before, saddest words of tongue or pen are these, it might have been. It's just terrible to, to know that none of this had to happen. Oh, one writer said, in the wake of every self-imposed disaster comes the sting of the knowledge that all of this could have been avoided. And in fact, that when God judges somebody and it ends in condemnation, he is essentially saying to that person, thy will be done. That's certainly not God's will. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, it is not God's will that any should perish, but that everybody come to repentance and have life, Right? So on that great day, he'll say, hey, buddy, and he'll be holding hands with proof. <laughs> I did pretty much everything I could do, but thy will be done. And so many times marriages and careers and ministries by, the, by our own hands. It's just really, really sad. He just says, walk with me. Cooperate with me. It's not that hard. And he's given us this Holy Spirit to help, you know, um, so enter this Nebuzaradan. his name means slaughterer. So in comes the sla yeah, you know, how about that for a baby name, you know? <laughs> what kind of mood was mom in? Really, seriously, that kid's slaughterer. So he's in charge now. Uh, verse 9, uh, Jerusalem goes up in smoke. And now if you come with us next May to Israel, uh, you will see the rocks that, that were tumbled over. They're still there. The stones, the rubble from Solomon's temple being destroyed. You can, you can go through that. It's just pretty amazing things. But So the glorious temple, the magnificent palace there is ransacked, destroyed, dismantled every little last piece of it. Verse 11 says the remaining populace was exiled or defected. Right. I went willingly verse 11 and then verse 12 the squatters really were the only ones allowed to stay and work the fields and then verses 14 through 15 they carried off more treasure and gold cups and bowls and every last little thing you know Jeremiah chapter 52 has an itemized list the whole chapter tells you every last thing That they took. Now, I want to pause here because this is kind of entertaining. Because the gold cups that went bye bye, (laughs) the gold cups reappear in the book of Daniel. Now, let me tell you about that, all right? The book of Daniel is happening right now. The book of Daniel is starting because guess who's getting exiled? Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They're nice Jewish boys who live in Jerusalem, and they are going to be taken by Mr. Nebuchadnezzar with that the bus that we see everybody going on. Daniel's on the bus with his three teenage friends, and they're going to Babylon, and God's going to raise them up. But let me just tell you about the cups. So they get there. And you know the story. They get, you know, well, anyway, I'm going to jump to the cups part. So Nebuchadnezzar, now this is some years later, not very many, but now Nebuchadnezzar's son is on the throne. His name's Belshazzar, all right? So one, time, one night, Belshazzar's throwing this wicked party, right? Everybody's getting drunk and dancing, and there's all kinds of immorality going on. So while he's drunk, he says, hey, go get the golden cups That my father took from Jerusalem in the temple of the Lord. And let's party with those golden chalices. So they bring out these cups. And they start drinking. And they're praising the gods of brass and gold and all of this stuff. Right? And suddenly a hand appears. Just a hand riding on the plaster of the wall a coded message, just writing, a finger and a hand, writing on the wall. Well, he turns pale, white as a sheet. His knees are knocking, it says in Daniel. He's just freaked out. He says, call in my sorcerers and my uh, my my magicians. And they come in and they go, "Mini, mini, teco parson, whoa. Uh, we don't know what that means. And so somebody says, hey, you know, He's ready to have a nervous breakdown. Because he just saw a hand with no arm, just a hand, right? And so he's like, uh-huh. And so somebody says, Hey, listen, there's somebody here with the spirit of the gods in him. His name's Daniel. It's one of those boys you took from Jerusalem, your father brought here. Call him in. So he comes in and he says, he says, Listen, kid, you could tell me what Meanie meeny techal parson means. I'll give you so much stuff. He goes, you know, Daniel says, keep your stuff and give all your rewards to somebody else because I'm not interested. I'll tell you what it means, but I don't want a nickel from you, a shekel, sorry, or whatever. <laughs> so he says, here's your message pretty much, God has judged you and your days are numbered, it's over. And he goes, bring out the royal robe, give him the gold, give him the presents and all of that because he knew that that was the truth. And just so you know, those gold goblets are going to go back. They're going to go back with uh, the remnant that will be allowed to because God is working uh, in wonderful ways there. Oh, Oh, and by the way, that night he was slain by King Darius and Darius is a Mede, and the Medes are the Iranians. So the Iranians come in and take Babylon as the Iraqis. So the Iranians now come to power over Iraq. So this has been going on for a few years, folks. <laughs> this is 500 years before Bethlehem, out where they're still fighting. That's a long time. Talk about the McCoys and the Hatfields there. <laughs> Yeah, so he's, he's slain just that night. He doesn't even wake up the next day. And the cups come back in 70 years. That's nice. 18 through 22 now. The commander of the guard took his prisoners, this guy and Zephaniah, the priest, next in rank and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and the five royal advisors. He also took the secretary who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land and 60 of his men who were found in the city. The slaughterer, (laughs) the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon. There at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. Yeah, see, that's what he does. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, appointed Gedalia, son of Anakam, Anakam, Aakam, sheesh, (laughs) whatever happened to John and Dave and Mike and, you know, Jack, you know, the son of Shaphan, there we go, to be over the people he had left behind in Judah, so verse twenty-two. Good, that's it. So more death and destruction, <laughs> and uh, uh, as the last wagons kind of ride off into the sunset, and the chariots pull out of town, um, the ancient Iraqis uh, left no prominent people in Jerusalem. They were either, as your text says, exiled or executed. That way, there'll be no further um, incidents, um, as they they think. And, and so, as a matter of fact, um, you know, all of this is told to us without a lot of emotion. Now, Jeremiah is supposedly the author of 2 Kings. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, so where's the emotion in all of this tragedy? It's called the Book of Lamentations. The Book of Lamentations, which comes, follows Jeremiah, right, or before, right before there, uh, is five chapters of this these years. F- Lamentations is to grieve and to cry. So, but even then, there's so much hope in Lamentations and Jeremiah. You know, if you if you think of Jeremiah and Lamentations as uh, writings during this time, and then you think of some of the encouraging things that come from there. You know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. That's Lamentations. That's his, in the middle of all of this, he's saying, listen, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Um, and, And so he's good to the soul that who seeks him. Uh, these are all the hopeful things. Jeremiah 29, 11, that's on half of your refrigerators, right? <laughs> I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope in a future. That's during these days he's speaking. He's writing a letter to the exiles. Did you know that? That Jeremiah chapter 29 is a letter written right now, to all those people who had fish hooks put in their mouth and brought to Babylon. He pens a letter to them from Jerusalem, and it's called Jeremiah chapter 29. Behold, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans that prosper you. And he says, settle down there, serve the king. Seventy years you guys are coming back. So just... Awesome to have hope. So Jeremiah's left there. Some poor folk are left. A lot of stones and rubble. And a governor named uh, Jedaliah. I'm just going to call him Jed. All right? All right. And so, uh, by the way, Jeremiah talks about this governor that's left after there are no more kings. So they just say, hey, you, over there. (laughs) You're going to make the governor. So he's going to be a vassal puppet governor. And Jeremiah says he's his, Jeremiah's friend. And he's a good guy. Right? So let's see what happens to him. Twenty three, twenty six. When all the army officers and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Jed as governor. They came to Jed at that place with all these people. <laughs> and Jed took an oath to reassure them and their men. You know, tonight's just not a real coordinated night for my mouth, so I'm not doing it. So Jed takes an oath to reassure them and their men. Don't. So, so everybody's showing up and say, hey, man, they put you in charge. And he says, don't be afraid of the Babylonian officials. They're occupied now by Iraq, basically, ancient Iraq. Okay, so Jerusalem's being occupied by ancient Iraq. This, this Jewish good guy is saying, don't be afraid of them. <laughs> he says, settle down in the land, serve the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, even though he's back in Iraq now, and it will go well with you. In the seventh month, however, Ishmael, son of that dude, son of that <laughs> dude, uh, wh- who was of royal blood, came with 10 men and assassinated Jed, and also the men of Judah and the Babylonians. <laughs> he just came into town and just wiped everybody out again. At this, all the people left there in Jerusalem from the least to the greatest together with the army officers all went south to Egypt in fear of what King Nebuchadnezzar is now gonna do when he hears, what, you know, I put this governor in charge and some guy, you know, just decides that, you know, he's got royal blood and... He's going to come back and he's going to throw off these pagan Babylonians. And so a decent man is in charge here of occupied Jerusalem. Here's the gist of his wisdom. Here's what he tells everybody in verse 24. It, it's really saying when, when deserving judgment comes down, own it. Learn from it. Really make the best of the situation God has allowed this to happen. You can't really do anything about it. You haven't learned your lesson yet. So just accept it and quit fighting and trying to find a way out. You're know, you not gonna learn your lesson. You're not gonna grow. You're gonna short circuit the redemptive purpose in the consequences of your bad behavior. Amen? That's something to think about. So stop resisting uh, Babylon at this point. Uh, Really, because you're resisting God. That's essentially what it is. Uh, One author said it this way. Consequences of sin and wrongdoing need some time to do their work to humble and correct the very problem of what brought on the disaster. To try to get out from under the consequences too quickly is to short-circuit any redemptive and transformative qualities inherent in the suffering. So... He tried to get him, just calm down. Let's seek the Lord. Let's just do what, what the king wants us to do. And it will go well with us. But no, his advice wasn't well received. Uh, it was seen as unpatriotic and uh, as a traitor. So some uh, zealot with royal blood in verse 25, he grabs 10 thugs. And he says, we're going to move in here and just, just wipe everybody out. And not surprisingly, in verse 26, you see everybody going to Egypt. Uh, Egypt was kind of a refuge place because the Babylonians and the Egyptians, uh, Egypt was still sovereign where Egypt is. And so they fled south and they found refuge there. Now, closing out here, the book ends with a a PS, kind of a curious little note about Judah's last legitimate king, Jehoiachin, who got called off many years ago. So here's the end of the book of Second Kings. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Now, he's a few kings ago, right? So it's been a while. 37 years he's been over there. In the year of evil Merodach. this is just Evel. It's not evil, like you think. <laughs> he is, but he's not. All right. Evil uh, Evel <laughs> became king of Babylon. He released Jehoiachin from prison on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes, and for the rest of his life, he ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. Ladies and gentlemen, we have finished the book of 2 Kings. But not until I'm done commenting on it. Now, what's up with this ray of sunshine? When this guy, when this guy was taken on the bus to Iraq from Jerusalem, he was about 18 years old. he has been in prison there the whole time. He's now my age. He's 55. And so suddenly, this new king who's Nebuchadnezzar's son, that's a title, has now warmed up to him. Now, why? First of all, we see he springs him from the slammer. He's speaking kindly to him, verse 28, right? They become friends. He's speaking kindly to him. He gives him a place in his administration above Babylonian royalty. Huh. Verse 29, no more orange jumpsuit. Uh, it, <laughs> It says, no more prison clothes, no more prison food, and he's being paid. Verse 30, nice robes, good food, and he's at the king's table. I just wrote down here, what is going on? Oh, I'm glad I wrote that down because I'm going to answer that for you. God is softening the Babylonians because he's planning on rebuilding Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so all the prophecies said that that was going to happen. God's been working in Babylon. He's got people there Daniel, Meshach, Shanrach, Abednego. And what has gone on during those 37 years? Well, let me tell you what's gone on. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. Nebuchadnezzar's, this dude's father, is suddenly BFF. Of, with him, all right? So he's around, this, this Evel guy, he's around during these things. So dad has this dream, and he, and he can't get anybody to tell him what it is. And, and bring in one of the Jewish guys. So they, they haul in Daniel, and Daniel interprets it for him, and he says, here's what his father says, Evel's father, Nebuchadnezzar. Truly your God, is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery to me. Daniel chapter 2. Well, in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is goaded into making this 90-foot golden statue image of himself, right? Because there's some jealous guys in the, in the Babylonian administration that want to set up Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and the, all the other Jewish boys. Right, so they say, "Hey, build this tower. Every time the music plays, everybody's gonna bow." Right, so this is this guy's father, Nebuchadnezzar. Right, and so in comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not gonna bow. He throws them in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, this guy's dad, opens up the furnace door and looks inside, and he sees them all walking around, high fiving Jesus. <laughs> you know, so it, the the son of God is in the fire with them. Here's what he says after that. This is Evel's father speaking. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, my command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language, that speaks anything against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Oh, it's not done. So while this guy has been languishing in jail, this boy, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, is running around watching all of this happen, right? So in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar, dad, gets another dream, right? And, and it's warning him against pride. And says, you better just humble yourself because you've been saying some really good things, but I see this is not going right. So you humble yourself, right? That was the thing of the dream, but he didn't. So he lost his mind. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar's dad, Evel's dad, is, is is roaming around like a cow eating grass. All right, he's just, they, they just like put him in a pen and he just grew his hair long and his fingernails. And the, you know the story, right? Well, he humbled his heart through that. And he came through it. And here's what Evel's dad, Nebuchadnezzar, says. After that experience of insanity. How great are, are God's signs. How mighty his wonders. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the guy who came in and leveled Jerusalem speaking. He's getting saved. And his son, Evel, now has connected the dots and says, we've got one of the kings in prison still. Go and get that guy out of there. Because Evel has seen the light as well. And so what is more important is is that in just a few years, this is going to continue to the next administration who is going to pay and release all the Jews and send them by royal edict by King Cyrus's command. Go home and here's your money to rebuild your temple. We will pay. And if anybody gives you a hard time, we will crush them. This is Cyrus' This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is Evel. The Lord took Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and, and, and he bust them in, and he raised them up, and he started working and sharing the gospel and, and softening hearts. And this is what you have here is it closes with a ray of sunshine looking forward to the return, and Ezra and Nehemiah are gonna tell you how King Cyrus gives an edict and says, all the Jews, you're free to go home. You rebuild that place, and let us pay for it. Wow, that's pretty amazing stuff. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just your amazing way that you work in our hearts and lives for truly you, you work all things together for good for those who love God and who are called according to your purpose. And there's just nothing too dark. There's nothing too deep, nothing too high, nothing too difficult for you are the Lord. And so Lord, we just acknowledge that if you can change a man like Nebuchadnezzar and all of these pagan kings who were such violent and adversarial kinds of rulers and soften their hearts and, and do such wonderful, transformative work. What could you do in our hearts who are your blood-bought children who you love and demonstrated that great love for us, Lord? Help us to, to receive that love and to let you Do your work in our hearts and lives through the good things and the tough things. And just know that you're a good God. You know the plans you have for us, plans to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. So we thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.